Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 11 of Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to be reading from verses 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And we've been looking at these verses in our last couple of studies. And uh, we we saw how uh, Revelation 18 and verse 24 in the chapter where the Lord is describing his wrath being poured out upon Babylon, that he says in Revelation 18, verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. And this is the reason for Babylon's judgment. And yet it is not referring only to uh, those killed by the churches or those killed by a combination of Israel and the churches, by the corporate um, representation of God's kingdom in the Old Testament and in the New, with Israel and the New Testament churches and congregations. It's not referring to them exclusively. They're a part of Babylon, as we uh, we find during the time of the Great Tribulation, that the churches were given up and handed over to Satan, and they became a part of what is typified as the kingdom of Babylon, ruled over by the king of Babylon, who is a type and figure of Satan. And yet, uh, when God says that all the blood from all the prophets and saints, he is going to require at Babylon's hands, well, uh, uh, why would the church be be guilty of the blood of individuals that died before there was a church? Or why would Israel be guilty of the blood of individuals that died before there was an Israel? As we read in Matthew chapter 23, and, and we read this in our last study, but let's look again. It says in uh, verse 33, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Now that's really a key statement where where Christ is is saying, "Ye generation of vipers." He's referring to the generation of evil. Now, in in Matthew chapter twelve, um, a few chapters earlier, we read in verse thirty four. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And then in verse 38 and following, Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation 
seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Notice in verse 39, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And and while it's true the scribes and Pharisees uh, of that day were seeking after a sign, well, uh, the Lord is just basically saying they are fitting in with the overall generation of evil that has been upon the world since man fell into sin. It is the generation of evildoers. God likens all of the wicked that were alive in the days of Christ, or that were alive in the days of Noah, or that are alive today as the generation of evil. It says in Luke chapter 16, in verse 8, And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world, or age, are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, in in this parable, uh, Christ is saying that the children of this age... It applies to all of the unsaved people throughout time. They are wiser in their generation. It is a single generation, not generations, because God is referring to the entire um, duration of mankind in his rebellion against the Lord as a generation of evil. Now going back to Matthew 23, it says in verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel, unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now that's um, who the you is referring to in verse 35, that upon you may come all the righteous blood, upon this generation. Now, uh, when we've looked at this language before, and we we know that Israel, as well as the New Testament church, is guilty of spiritually, uh, as well as physically, killing the people of God. They They have been actively doing so throughout the history of Israel and throughout the history of the church in driving God's people out of the congregations. God likens that to killing. That's true. And so we just quickly assumed that this is only referring to the churches. But actually, the churches and Israel are a part 
of that generation of evil. And they have uh, maybe been the greatest offenders against God's people because God had his people in Israel and he had his people within the churches during the church age. And that's quite a large segment of of time. And much of the Bible deals with Israel and deals with the church. And yet still there there was a time before Israel when God's people were also being slain. And there's a time after the church age where God's people could be slain spiritually or even physically. And, and, and so the, the, uh, emphasis here upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias. Well, Abel had nothing to do with Israel. He, uh, was at the very beginning and the world was created in 11,013 BC. And of course he would have, um, had to have been born him and his brother Cain. And they, they grew up to a certain age. We don't know how old they were. They could have been 20 or maybe 22 where we don't know. So, so it would not have been right at the, the very beginning of creation. But not too long after, let's say around 10,980, somewhere around there in B.C., that, that Cain rises up and kills his brother. Or, or actually it could have been even longer than that since um, Seth was a son that, that God gave. And instead of Abel, he says to Adam and Eve, and we know that Seth was born when Adam was 130. So we'll, we'll give that space maybe up to 130 years. And yet still, of, uh, from the point of creation, and yet still, that is thousands of years before the flood. The flood would occur 6,023 years from creation. And then from the flood, it would be a couple thousand years plus until Abraham is born and uh, he becomes the the beginning of the nation of Israel. Uh, so th- that's an awful lot of time. And God had his people, not many, but he had his people like Abel who were slain. And so Abel's righteous blood is charged to Babylon because Satan had his kingdom from the very beginning. Once mankind fell into sin and disobeyed God, and in doing so, obeyed Satan. They uh, believed Satan. They trusted Satan over God, and therefore Satan was victorious over mankind, and he began to reign over the sinners, all the unsaved that would come forth from Adam and Eve. And, and therefore his kingdom from the very beginning was in effect. Actually, in Revelation chapter 17, God speaks of um, Satan's kingdom as though it were ruled over by seven kings. We read in Revelation 17, in verse 7, And the angel said unto me, 
Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. And then in verse 9, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. This is describing Satan's rule throughout the history of the world. And at the time this this scripture is being given, five kings have fallen because this is bringing us up until the the first century A.D. And so over 11,000 years of history have passed and God likens that period as though Satan had five um, durations of reigning as though he reigned um, five out of the seven times and then one is and that will be throughout uh, his, the New Testament era as he reigns over the sinful hearts of men and then finally comes his last reign for a short space That and that's describing the little season of the Great Tribulation his greatest period of reigning and and so this indicates Satan has been reigning from the fall of man or since the fall of man all through the history of the world and and if he reigns as king he has a kingdom and that kingdom is typified by Babylon Babylon which uh, the the kingdom of Babylon gets its name from Babel in the book of Genesis, where the languages were confounded. And it, Babylon is an ancient kingdom, historically, and it points to Satan's kingdom from the very beginning. And, and so God in Revelation 18 is finally, finally, after the entire history of the world, uh, has reached 13,000 years. God begins to judge the churches using Satan, and the churches become a part of Satan's kingdom. He reigns over them like he reigns over the unsaved of the world. And and now he's showing himself he is God. And, and, and so the judgment on the churches isn't the fall of Babylon, it's the glory of Babylon. It's the time when Babylon is lifted up and exalted, just as historically when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah and took the Jews captive. Well, that wasn't the fall of Babylon. That was, it, it was the time when Babylon was victorious and uh, had conquered an enemy and, and Nebuchadnezzar was um, was lifted up. He, he was glorified in his kingdom because he had conquered the kingdom of Judah and had taken the Jews captive. It was at the end of the 70-year period, the end of the, the Jewish period of captivity, that Nebuchadnezzar, well, no, he was long dead, but the king of Babylon, as we read in Daniel 5, and the Babylonians are conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And that 70-year period points to the Great Tribulation. 
And it's at the end of the Great Tribulation, the end of the judgment uh, upon the churches and congregations, in which finally Satan and his kingdom of Babylon are defeated. And Satan is deposed as king. He's no longer uh, officially ruling over the churches. He's no longer even ruling officially over the world. He still exists. He'll continue to exist until the the very end of the world. But officially, the authority that God had given him at the beginning of the Great Tribulation is gone. And this is a severe blow to Satan's pride. And, And so the generation of evil identifies with the kingdom of Babylon. And God, in using this language in Matthew 23... Of, of, of requiring all the blood, all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, is indicating that it's not only the church. Now, the church would, would also come under judgment for this, as they're a part of the world, part of Satan's kingdom at this time. But it is the whole entire kingdom of the evil one. It's the generation of evil that now uh, the, the blood of all God's people throughout all time is uh, being exacted. It is the vengeance of God's holy temple, the, the body of his elect people. And now we know Abel was in the beginning and God is using him as a figure of the uh, elect from the very beginning. But what about Zacharias? Zacharias, the son of Barachias. Well, actually, Zechariah, Zacharias is called Zechariah in the Old Testament in Second Chronicles chapter 24. And he is a descendant of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada was a faithful priest who lived to be a very old man. Uh, and, and the Bible uh, gives us some interesting details about that day. In Second Chronicles 24, beginning in verse 1, Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zibiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right, in the sight of Jehovah all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada the priest, that faithful man of God. And uh, it's one of the more exciting uh, true historical accounts in the Bible when we read the story of uh, how this young boy became king at the age of seven, Joash, and Jehoiada was his faithful mentor, showing him, what was right, showing him the proper way, the faithful way of serving God as king. And Joash took note, and he did that which was right in the sight of Jehovah all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, it would have been far better if God had said all the days of his life, but at least he did what was right all the days of Jehoiada. Now, There comes a time, though, when Jehoiada dies in verse 15. But Jehoiada 
waxed old and was full of days when he died. A hundred and thirty years old was he when he died. And then uh, notice what happens. Uh, let me read in verse 17. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. Then the king hearkened unto them. And they left the house of Jehovah God of their fathers and served groves and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto Jehovah. And they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood upon the people, stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of Jehovah, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken Jehovah, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him, and stone him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of Jehovah. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, Jehovah, look upon it and require it. Now in the Bible, uh, a man, it can be said to be the son of another man and Yet it's not an immediate father-son relationship. It could be grandfather, even great-grandfather. And since Jehoiada was 130, it's probable that Zechariah was his grandson. And and Zacharias' father was Barachias, as we read in Matthew 23. But But that's not the issue here. The issue is that Zechariah was slain by the once good king Joash. Now, why does God pick this particular event, this particular martyrdom uh, of one of his people? There's many instances God could have chosen. Why, why did the Lord pick Zacharias's death in, in that day and time. Why did he start with Abel and end with Zacharias? Now, in our English language, it, it sounds pretty good. From Abel, the letter A, to Zacharias, the letter Z. And our alphabet is A to Z, but that's not what is meant at all. It, it is not uh, as though God were using the English alphabet. Why then? Abel to Zacharias. It, um, the way God has um, spoken it, we would think it's an all-inclusive statement or an all-encompassing statement of all of God's elect from the beginning, as Abel was the first believer killed, to Zacharias, the last believer killed. But Well, we know God couldn't go to the end of the world as he wrote the Bible, but at least couldn't he go to the end of the Old Testament? Uh, there, there's still hundreds of years to go, and and uh, much more scripture is will be written after the death of Zechariah. Why did God pick this point? Well, the answer is found with Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada is a type of Christ, or possibly the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And all the days 
that Christ was in the midst of the churches and congregations, as we read early on in the book of Revelation, that Christ was in the midst of the candlesticks. He was the light of the churches, and his presence meant that the churches could be considered faithful, as Isaiah chapter 1 tells us. And once God brought judgment on the churches at the end of the church age on May 21, 1988, then immediately when the the second, the moment, the Holy Spirit departed out and left the congregations, the congregations went dark and they ceased to be faithful. They were no longer considered a faithful city and and also... Also, the church began to lose its way, just as Joash did right all the days of Jehoiada. As soon as Jehoiada died, it seems, he began to lose his way. He began to become influenced by the princes of Judah, and and he hearkened unto them. And, And so the rulers, the church authorities, the pastors and elders and deacons now were no longer listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit, or they were no longer uh, confined, they were no longer restrained by the Holy Spirit. Now they they uh, were under another influence as Satan entered in, and his emissaries became chief, and now they were listening to Satan. And as a result, what happened in 1988? It was the beginning of the persecution of God's people, the beginning of the driving out of the true believers in a very big way. Of course, it's always been done here and there throughout the church age, but now in a major way in many churches and congregations, the Lord's people were driven out, even driven out by false doctrine and gospels, if not uh, intentionally. The, the true believer just cannot survive in, in that kind of environment where lies are being taught. And, and so since the pastor was not feeding the flock, the, the one who's a true sheep ends up leaving and in a sense is driven out by the apostasy. And, and so... This happened in 1988, which was the 13,000th year of Earth's history from the very beginning, from creation, 11,013 B.C. to 1988 A.D. is exactly 13,000 years. And that's when the Holy Spirit left, just as Jehoiada the priest, who was with Joash all the days that Joash was was born, uh, or or all from the time he was king, from seven years old, throughout his reign, until Jehoiada died at the age of 130. Now, 130 is 10 times 13. The number 10 points to completeness, and the number 13 to the end of the world, which the end arrives in the 13,000th year of Earth's history. 13,000 is really multiples of 10 and the number 13. It's the same, same numbers that, 
that um, are involved with Jehoiada's death age. And it's no coincidence. It is God letting us know that we are correct. We have understood the end of the church age correctly. We have understood the time of the end of the world beginning at that point as judgment began at the house of God correctly. And, and, and so the all-encompassing statement from Abel unto Zacharias, will the blood be required of this generation uh, upon you, this evil generation is really what's meant, is pointing to all the blood from the beginning to the end, as the end is ushered in at the end of the church age and the beginning of the great tribulation. That begins the period of the end of the world. 